Welcome to Real Deep Stuff. We've saved your seat at the table for this conversation. We're so glad you're here. This podcast discusses sensitive topics such as suicide and depression. Listening to this podcast may be upsetting to some listeners and may trigger unpleasant feelings or memories. If you are feeling overwhelmed or distressed, please consider seeking help from a qualified mental health professional before listening. The information provided in this podcast is for educational and informational purposes only. It should not be construed as medical advice or a substitute for medical advice. Today, we are continuing the conversation with Lindsay Lee as she walks us through her journey of life and loss with her husband from depression and suicide. We thank you, Lindsay, for stepping out and doing the uncomfortable thing and sharing the painful moments of your life so that you could hopefully help make someone else's pain a little less. Thank you. What gave you, what strength did you draw from? Um, to speak at his service? Um, so, like I said earlier, I wasn't going to initially speak at his um, service. Um, but I really wanted... I think that's where, like, my passion for... Um, kind of being honest and open about, you know, what happened and um, about mental health came from. It's, I wanted to honor him and, and share with people, like, how great he was, but I, I also wanted to tell others, like, you know, if you are struggling with depression, it's, it's okay. It's, it's not anything to be ashamed of um and I think also just like wanting to be completely honest um like I didn't want rumors spread about you know him or you know because people you know people don't know how somebody died it's like oh I assume he did this or I assume he did this it's like here's the honest truth and like take it or leave it but I don't want there to be you know stories being told about him like yes he committed suicide and he was struggling with depression um and I just don't I I think I you know learned I was like you know it's it's not anything to be ashamed of that you struggled with depression yes I wish he did not commit suicide um but I want to use my circumstance and his story as like to help others yeah. and it is yeah. it is um Wow, finding out that you were pregnant a mm-hmm. week after his death. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember reading a post talking about how you were packing your hospital bag mm-hmm. and that you had to take his death certificate yes. with you. I, I literally just bawled my eyes out mm-hmm. at that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's okay, can you tell us what that mm-hmm. felt like for everyone that's yeah shares um, your journey? So... I had to like reach out 
before I even, you know, weeks before I was like, okay, I could maybe, you know, go into labor around this time, I had to, um, I reached out to the hospital that I was going to be delivering at, and I was like, hey, so I know this is not a normal circumstance and a normal situation, but um, my husband passed away, and I'm going to be um, giving birth around this date, um, what all do I need to, like, bring with me, do I need to bring his death certificate, so his name can be on her birth certificate, um, and they were like, yes, and so I, you know, it's very, you're, it's very weird, um, you're, you're bringing, I don't know, almost like a death to a birth and when it's supposed to be happy um but I knew that I wanted his name on her birth certificate because he is her dad um and it luckily like all the like nurses and everything were super gracious like when we got there and so um they were very sweet about it um but yeah it was it was weird when it came time to like you know have her birth certificate them entering all the information um like having to hand over a, a death certificate but i think at that point i had had to do so much <laughs> um just in even other situations of having to bring his death certificate to so many things that it was like, here's another one. And it just, it almost became like, not routine, but like almost expected that I was going to have to do that. Um, Did you had milestones, like you sold your home? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I'm sure that was like yeah. any type of legal or yeah. banking or whatever, mm -hmm. I'm sure. Yeah. Um, just it right. I wouldn't have thought yeah. to do that it was yeah. incredibly forward-thinking yeah. of you yeah um, and I think when you're in that um, when you're we're in this situation where it's like you know your spouse has passed away you almost have to be thinking ahead um, of like different situations that could come up and that the last thing I want to do is be unprepared and not have things ready um, in case I need them um, and I think it just brings like a piece to your your heart when you're prepared for something versus showing up and like oh no I needed to have his death certificate I think that's a whole nother like oh my gosh like I have to process this and I think being able to like have that already packed and settled in this like the the realization like yes I'm going to be handing over a death certificate at my daughter's birth let me feel that now and then when I have to do it I'm not going to be like in such I don't know uh, surprise that I would have to do something like that 
fully agree. I think when we have the opportunity to kind of almost pre-walk mm-hmm. the road, we know mm-hmm. we're going to, whatever that road yeah. is, that initial shock and awe, mm-hmm. we can feel that in our right. own time and space. Yeah. And then when we're going actually through it, there's enough of that emotion that's right. going to happen. Right. But just to kind of buffer it mm-hmm. a little bit, yeah. that's it's a gift. Yeah. It's, you know, it's a gift to be able to preliminarily mm-hmm. feel all that yeah. in your head and your heart. Yeah. And she's born, and she has this beautiful name. <laughs> Would you mind yes. telling us how she got so, her name? So, Abigail got her name. Um, I had not had my, like, 20-week ultrasound yet where you would do your anatomy scan, and so... I think it was like two weeks or three weeks or something like that before that. Um, and one morning, um, Emmy, who was maybe like, uh, she was less than two, um, she pointed at my belly and she said, baby girl. And I said, what'd you just say? And she said, baby girl. And I was like, oh. What? And I was like, okay. You're like, how'd you know? Yeah. And then I was like, okay. And then the next day, she said, baby Abigail. And I said, what'd you say? She said, baby Abigail. And I was like, oh my God, this is so weird. Like, you do not know anybody by the name of Abigail. You've never heard this name before. And I was like, oh my gosh, if you are right, this is so weird. And so when I had my 20-week ultrasound, they were like, it's a girl. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is so weird. And um, so that's weird enough yeah. that she knew. Uh-huh. What makes and it weirder? So, <laughs> um, so the name Abigail was one that David and I had considered uh, when I was pregnant with Emmy, um, and we had not looked up the name, like what the meaning of the name, because um, we kind of had settled on Emmy. And so um, when I looked up the name of Abigail and like what it meant. It meant father's joy or cause of joy. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is like so perfect. Um, so, th- so there's three things working. Right. And he knew she was a girl. Yes. Somehow mm-hmm. she knew this name mm-hmm. that David and you had yep. considered. And what the name meant. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you so, probably didn't have to buy a lot of no. name books. <laughs> <laughs> no. So I was like, all right, it is Abigail. We are going with Abigail. The only thing I had to like think about was like, okay, well, what's your middle name going to be? But I was like, at this point, I don't even care. <laughs> it's Abigail. <laughs> um, yeah. So that that was like super special. That will and, be a bond for the two of them yeah, forever. Yeah. So it. It, it was very, very, very sweet, and um, and it's probably something I will never forget, and I hope I never forget, <laughs> mm. but I think it's it's sweet that she was able to, like, be able to tell me that, and so, um, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's really, mm. oh, that is a sweet, sweet mm. story. Yeah. Oh, and um, it just connects 
Emmy and you mm -hmm. and David and mm -hmm. Abigail and God all yeah. together. Mm -hmm. That's really great. Yeah. So uh, fast forward a little bit. What was going back to work like while you're now? Everything has changed. Right. Same job, but mm -hmm. like an entirely different mm -hmm. backdrop to that. Yeah. So um, I had, um, I think I went back to work in April. Um, I th it might have been like end of April. I'm not even really sure. Um, but my manager was super gracious. Um, so I'm usually bedside nursing. Um, and so I have patients and giving medications and all that. But she let me be um, what we call an admission discharge nurse. So I didn't have direct patient care. Um, and I was pretty much just in the role of like helping admit or discharge patients. Um, and so that's great. Yeah. Yeah. It, I needed something that was not going to trigger anything and something that would allow me to like ease my way back into work. Um, so she let me do that for about, um, a year or so. I think like right after I came back from maternity leave with Abigail, that's when I started bedside nursing again. Um, but it was, it was nice to have something where I... I wouldn't have a possible situation of a patient coding or something like that. Um, yeah. But I did still have like a situation where I did have um, a trigger where um, it was like within the first week or so, I think of me coming back to work, um, one of the nurses had passed out and um, the color of her skin triggered me oh. of it was the same color that David's skin was when I found him and so it was like it took me by surprise because I wasn't expecting to you know have to face something like this so soon and I in that moment I I almost lost it, but I was like, I have to be able to contain, like, control my emotions like I'm at work, and, mm. um, but, like, all my, um, coworkers, they were, like, super sweet about it, and they were like, if you need to go cry, just go, mm. um, but yeah, I mean, the other, um, another trigger that, um, that I had in the beginning, um, was uh, lights on, like if I can see a light mm -hmm. shining under a door, mm -hmm. um, that was triggering. Like when it's not supposed to be. Like if everybody should be in mm -hmm. bed and the light is left on, that was triggering. And I had one time, and my youngest brother probably has zero clue because I never told him, um, but it was like I was getting ready to go to work and he had left a light on in like his closet or something and I could see the light shining under the door and I knew I was like okay it's way too early for you to be up you should be asleep 
and I froze and I like I started having like palpitations and like my heart was racing and I was getting so nervous and I had to open the door and I had to go check on him to make sure he was okay because that's how I found David was the light shining underneath the door mm-hmm. um, and I mean luckily those have been the only triggers um, and I've learned to work through those um, and I think when you're exposed to something um, like a trigger so often like it's a terrible habit that my brother has he leaves the lights on so now I expect a light on underneath his door um that you become desensitized to to that trigger or that trauma um so I luckily haven't had to um like haven't had instances where I've I felt that again um but in the beginning it was it was hard triggers um are so sensory mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sometimes they're memories mm-hmm. you know but boy they, they can affect mm-hmm. any of our senses at any time and it's so important to learn how to work through them mm-hmm. ourselves mm-hmm. what would you say to you know friends family co-workers you know to other people probably be patient mm-hmm, mm-hmm. while that's happening like any yeah. advice on that um it's kind of hard um, because I don't think you really realize your trigger until you're faced with it. Like I had a feeling maybe lights on under doors might be a trigger, but I didn't realize it was until I was faced with it. And honestly, I did not think that seeing a certain skin color and seeing someone passed out would have as much of an effect on me at first which sounds like very dumb but but I like I said I didn't realize it would until it like slapped me right in the face and it was happening right then and I never really told anybody about really those two situations yeah my coworkers were there when I when my one of the coworkers passed out but but I think just giving that person just grace to like feel um, and just maybe like the presence of, of a friend or a family just being there with you and letting you talk through whatever you're feeling and whatever triggered you and hopefully um, bring awareness to those triggers um, that maybe you're not faced with them. But I think you, you do need to work through your, your triggers. And I think, uh, it, I mean, it's, it's not like I purposely am working through it, but I think because my brother keeps the light on underneath, <laughs> on in his room all the time, I've had to just work through that, mm-hmm. that it's, it's no longer a trigger. And so I just, I think giving yourself grace to, to know that you're going to, it might hit you out of nowhere and just allowing yourself to feel those feelings even if they're so hard it's such an excellent point to 
to to say to bring awareness to the mm-hmm. trigger and mm-hmm. give it a hot mm-hmm. moment mm-hmm. because stuffing them mm-hmm. does not help. Right. It, I think it's our. I mean, I'm not. I'm not a, a psychologist, but right. um, I think it's the way that our mind and heart are bringing up something mm-hmm. that is tender mm-hmm. and hurting, mm-hmm. and it's like I need to heal this piece. Yeah. And then I need to heal this piece, and right. and not allowing that process to happen, I don't think leads anywhere right. healthy or good. Right. Yeah. So that's I great. Think. That's mm-hmm. great that you can take your moments yeah. and just, and sometimes moments might be days, you know, mm-hmm. or it might be a second, and yeah, yeah for sure, for sure. And so, um, going back to work is one thing. Mm-hmm. How is parenting too on your own now? Um, what does it feel like when Amy talks about Dada and Heaven? Mm-hmm. Like, what mm-hmm. can you share? Um, so, you know, usually when you have two children, it's usually like one parent has one and the other has the other. Well, I went to from one to two, and it's just me. Um, but Abigail was like a super easy baby (laughs) compared to Emmy and she enjoys sleeping and napping so like there's just several areas where I'm just like oh my gosh thank you God for giving me a baby that like enjoys napping and I'm I'm not having to constantly be like walking a baby in the struggle like just constantly having to go 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 but it's, it's hard, um, you know, because when you have two crying children, it's like, okay. Mm. <laughs> but it's, it's allowed me to, I think you really realize your strengths and your weaknesses um, when you're faced with them. And I think I'm a very, like, hands-on mom and... I, luckily, with my job, I get to be with them more days than not, and so um, I have been able to be the mom, because I always wanted to be not necessarily fully a stay-at-home mom, but I I wanted to be home more than I was at work, and so with my work schedule, I do get to be with them, and so it's allowed me just to, to be there for them, but but it is hard when it's, you know, you have the, the constant demands of two small children and they, they don't really understand mom needs a break. <laughs> um, Maybe you want to go to the bathroom yeah. alone once in a while. <laughs> Not have a toddler looking at me. And I realize, like, I, I get to the point where, and I usually don't realize this till it's, like, too late, but I definitely need to give myself a break and I I'm not very good about that and even if that's and I think this this December really kind of brought awareness of that to me that um December was hard for me physically not emotionally wise as far as I was exhausted I I feel like I was running on fumes and I think you know you have the the holiday season of you know there's so much to do and see it's Christmas time and yeah and I I don't want my girls to miss out on stuff like that and I I think I got to the point where I was like 
so much had been building that it finally kind of got to the head and I was like, oh my gosh, I need a break. I need, I, I'm not even really looking forward to Christmas. I am looking forward to January and the week between Christmas and New Year's, just the lull of where you're home, you're not doing anything, and you're just, it's not necessarily quiet, but it's like you're not moving really. Mm -hmm. And I, I needed that so bad. And so right after Christmas, I think it was like New Year's Day, I had a, a former coworker come up to me at work and she was like, hey, Lindsay, I kind of have this on my heart to ask you, are you doing anything where you get a break, like a night away from the girls? And I was like, to be honest, I have not had a break from my girls in almost two years, like not a night away where I'm just by myself or like maybe with a friend or whatever. But I haven't had that that time where I can just not have to worry about the girls but just focus on myself. But in May, my mom and I were gonna go to Europe for two weeks childless. Awesome! And I am so pumped. <laughs> I'm like, I, you don't realize you need a break until it's usually too late. And yeah. so I am at Oh, point. that is great. But, yeah, so I am excited. That's fantastic. Yeah. That, yes, keeping mm -hmm. yourself on the yeah. to-do list is yeah. so important. That's great. So circling back, mm -hmm. um, we talked a little bit about grieving yes. and um, and how stages can bounce around or we could kind of get stuck in one for a little mm -hmm. while or revisit them. Um, how has the stages of grief worked for you? Mm -hmm. And has there been a place where you kind of got stuck? Yeah. Um, so... Um, I think as far as like the grief stages, um, I mean, like I said earlier, it's not linear at all. Um, and you can really like bounce from one to the other and it, and not even really sit in one and you can, I feel like you can kind of feel two at the same time. Um, but, and I don't think I've really lingered on one more than another yeah I, I think the one I've spent the least amount of time in is the anger stage but yeah it's staying fluid just mm -hmm. to kind of let it be mm -hmm. what mm -hmm. it is yeah. um, letting yourself feel what you need to feel mm -hmm. when you need to feel it mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of people might struggle with that like mm -hmm. they might feel like they're dishonoring the memory mm -hmm. if they get mad mm -hmm. or guilt if they start to accept right. mm -hmm. and that but that it's okay mm -hmm. I, I believe personally that God made us to survive right. and the stages of grief help us have those tools mm -hmm. of survival mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. right because you probably just I mean I can't speak for you but part of you maybe felt like you know your life was ending too when mm -hmm. his ended and so mm -hmm. There's plan and purpose for you, and mm -hmm. I think he builds those stages of grief in us for mm -hmm. a point and a reason. Yeah. And when people 
push that down or deny mm-hmm. it or feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Not to feel bad about right. it. <laughs> right. And I think you, I think you need to allow yourself to feel whatever you're feeling. Um, and I think for a while I did push back, like not wanting to feel the anger stage of grief because I, um, I mean, like you said, I didn't, I felt like I was dishonoring him if I was angry at him for committing suicide, but knowing he was not in the mental state to like truly be able to make sound, logical decisions. But I think you have to give yourself the grace to like allow yourself to feel that because it does it it at, at some point it does come up and like for me it came up when I had two sick kids and I was having to be up in the middle of the night for several hours just trying to like get children to fall asleep and just be angry at him and it's healthy to feel the stages of grief because if you don't like you said it just festers mm-hmm. and that's not good either Mm-hmm. Be it the anger or depression mm-hmm. or bargaining, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, denying that mm-hmm. can also, I believe, have ramifications on our physical health, mm-hmm. not just mm-hmm. our mental health mm-hmm. or emotional health, right. but our physical. Yeah. We can't, our bodies were not made to mm-hmm. hold all that in. Right. You know, we store mm-hmm. emotional pain at the cellular mm-hmm. level, mm-hmm. and um, needing to leach that out is so important. So you can be who you need to be mm-hmm. to yourself, mm-hmm. to your girls, to your job, yeah. to your friends and family. Yeah. It's so, so important. Um, and I, I just, I feel sad when people feel like, it, you know, it's, there's too much guilt or mm-hmm. whatever other emotions holding them back from feeling like they, right. I, can't, I can't be angry at them. Mm-hmm. And, and yeah. I have to say, like, I'm just profoundly impacted that you have the wherewithal to understand that he wasn't in his normal right thinking mind and I do think that um, you've done a lot of homework Mm -hmm. and but you also are way wise beyond your years (laughs) (laughs) because you know so I guess my point is like someone could maybe get stuck in the anger Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. without understanding the wider lens of Mm -hmm. like they weren't Mm -hmm. in their the right mind yeah and I think part of that is because when I when David and I got married and we were dating it's like I saw the the happy carefree David and I saw that change over the years that the David that had depression was not the David I know that was deep, 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 deep in there somewhere. And I, I think that has helped me being able to know that the one that did commit suicide. And I I know I'm like talking about it, like one David versus the other, but it's, I think the, the, the David that struggled with depression was, was not the one or the, the David that did not have depression, and that was deep in there somewhere, would not have been the one that would have committed suicide and, and ended his life. And 
it's like I have to believe that that, that was in there mm-hmm. somewhere, but it could not come to the surface. Yeah. It's almost like maybe he was living parallel mm-hmm. lives, but mm-hmm. one life just overtook the other, mm-hmm. got stronger, the mm-hmm. voice got louder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was a really goofy guy. Yeah. He brought he a lot of joy to a lot mm-hmm. of people. Mm-hmm. And and I absolutely believe that wasn't gone. Right. But unfortunately the other yeah. side of that got mm-hmm. stronger. Mm-hmm. Um so okay, so you've sold your home, um, mm-hmm. you're raising two daughters by yourself and I remember the day I read about you taking off your wedding rings. Yes. How have you kept your mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual self healthy through mm-hmm. these changes and transitions? These are huge life. Mm-hmm. When they talk about the, the mm-hmm. eight life yeah. stressors, you know, like. It's like all you're, in like one year. <laughs> yeah. Almost huge. And you weren't um, even 30. <laughs> like, yeah. It was a lot. So for me, lots and lots and lots and lots of prayer. I think like for me always getting outside has always done like wonders on just my mental health so I have spent so much time outside and I I think it just allows me to think more clearly because I think when I stay inside it's almost like you're in this cocoon and you just fester on all of your problems that are going on and you just spiral out of control and you can't think of the good and I think being outside is just like really helped just allow me to like think way more clearly and just see the good of everything that God has put in my life and the way things have like orchestrated themselves out like he he had a plan and I can see bits and pieces and it might not be what I thought it would be <laughs> but I can see the good there is so much science behind getting outside mm-hmm. the endorphins from the sunlight and that fresh air mm-hmm. and I think we feel closer to God with nature mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's a different type of dirt. Like, dirt is right. good. Right. <laughs> right. 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 Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's like I can handle going to a barn yeah. easier than a public bathroom, right. honestly. Right, right, right. <laughs> something Same. natural yes. about yes. it, you know. And it also, like you said, it, it gets you outside your head, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is so important. Yeah. So just taking a walk, mm-hmm. sitting on a front step, yeah. anything, just it's a, that's mm-hmm. a good piece of advice. I think just letting the sun, like, sit and hit your face is like oh you can feel warmth even when you're feeling cold oh (laughs) that's good it's just yeah yeah that's really good what are some of the other things that have helped you like um i know over over the last couple years you've mentioned songs or books Mm -hmm. um have you had counseling whatever you're comfortable sharing um so i went to counseling to be honest i went twice And, like, I could have gone more, but having friends that have gone through, like, a suicide has really helped me the most because I think you you just naturally get to this point where you're just super honest and you can talk about, like, you know, yeah, this really sucks. Like, there's just no 
better way to say it. It's just, it sucks. But I think when you have somebody that's gone through this ahead of you, uh, they can ask you questions, like deep questions. And it's almost like a built-in counselor a little bit. And so luckily I've, I have these two best friends and they're a couple and we've, we've talked about so much and like we just have very honest and real conversations and they ask me questions that like things that I haven't really thought about but I'm probably subconsciously thinking them it's like making me really like process and then I found since David died other like young widows in the Charlotte area and mainly one um that she wasn't married but she was soon to be married and like I've kind of become, I think, that for her where she can process stuff with me. And I get it. Mm-hmm. And she gets what I'm feeling. And so I th- I think it's great to have friends also that are, like, not having, like, that don't deal with this. But I think you, you do a lot more processing when you do have friends that have gone through, like, a suicide. That's in like a real big way of how I've been able to process a lot of things. So um, what I'm hearing is you're really gleaning from the support of people, friends who have been, walked the same mm-hmm. journey, mm-hmm. different, looks different, mm-hmm. same mm-hmm. type of loss, mm-hmm. and then finding some strength in turning around mm-hmm. and being able to help mm-hmm. someone else that's mm-hmm. coming behind yeah. you. Yeah. That's great. Mm-hmm. That is beautiful. Because yeah. mm-hmm. sometimes people take their pain and they go home. Right. And they're just like, I'm, I'm right. done. I'm, I'm cutting off yeah. society. And I think, like, a lot also probably has to do with your personality type. Like, I am not one that I don't like to be. I am not a pessimist. I don't like to, like, feel doom and gloom all the time. Like, I, I want to feel happy. And I want to feel joy. And I think you learn, like, it was hard to learn, but you can feel both heartache and joy at the same time. And even though that seems so weird, it's possible. And I think I just have the, I don't know, I just have a personality where I, I can do that. I can see how some might not be able to do that. But I think to, like, really process and go through your grief... You have to have something to look forward to, um, to move forward. You're not necessarily moving on, but you're moving forward. Yes, yes. One thing that I have said often in regards to losing my mom was, I'll never get over her loss. Right. You get through it. Right. And those mm-hmm. are two entirely mm-hmm. different things. Right. Yeah, right. for sure, for yeah. sure. You have spoken a lot about how helpful and beneficial your friends and family Mm -hmm. have been Mm -hmm. things like your dad moving Mm -hmm. things out of the Mm -hmm. office and Mm -hmm. friends who've gone through things similar could you give for people who are you know a support system for someone Mm -hmm. in their life could Mm -hmm. you just give a couple of do's and don'ts even if you just Mm -hmm. like bullet list like Mm -hmm. do this don't do this you know helpful not helpful (laughs) as far as do's you know meal trains are like very great, especially in the beginning. Meal train, so like people bringing mm-hmm. you food. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Because that's like one less thing you have to think about, and it's just 
there. Mm-hmm. As far as like friends and family, I, th- I think I touched on this earlier, but like just allow the person who is grieving to sit in their grief, but be comfortable in sitting in that grief with them, even if you're not saying a word, but just sitting beside them. And you don't have to be like, oh, it'll get better. Don't say that. <laughs> because in that moment, you don't, you don't believe it and you don't want to hear that. But I think showing up and being there for them. And honestly, like, like if I was still living in my house, I would want someone just to like, if somebody would set up like, okay, I'm going to have somebody come clean your house on this day don't even worry, like, something you don't have to worry about. I'm going to come take your kids for two hours. Oh, wonderful. Something, just like... Go change the oil in your car. Right. Something, okay. If you can do something for that person that takes, like, a load off their shoulders, I think that does a lot. As far as don'ts, don't not say anything. And I I touched on this earlier, but the the silence is deafening it's already silent when you're expecting your spouse you know to have a conversation with your spouse and at night it's silent and you don't have anybody to talk to but like when friends don't say anything it's like a double whammy and it it feels even more lonely can i give a really bad example mm-hmm. of something that I just did this past weekend mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of when people <laughs> I tell myself so earlier you said their silence is deafening yeah. and I really get that I think sometimes people are just tongue-tied as to mm-hmm. yeah. I'm so afraid I'm going to say the yes. wrong thing so yeah. I was at a funeral mm-hmm. and I was walking through the family visitation line and it was a little bit of a trek from our home, and I was just really grateful to be able mm-hmm. to get there and be there to mm-hmm. support them. Mm-hmm. Not that it was about me. It was just like I was so happy that it worked out. Yeah. And I'm talking to the family, and I just look, and I said, I'm so happy to be here. Okay. And she just kind of looked at me, and I went, that was so dumb of me to say. Yeah. I said, I'm just going to stop talking Mm-hmm. And move on. Mm-hmm. And I hugged and I just kept walking yeah. and I just walked away going, oh my gosh, yeah. I just said that. And so I think people are terrified to make it worse. And I under, I understand that. And I mean, like, honestly, uh, before David passed away, I probably would have been the same way. And I, and I think as the person that's going through the grief, I think you have, you do have grace for that. Like, you understand, like, okay, they probably have no idea what's right to say and what's not right to say, and it is awkward. And I think I remember at David's funeral, <laughs> as far as what you were saying when you say the wrong thing. Please tell me I'm not the only one. Yeah, you're not the only one. You're not the only one. <laughs> okay. Um, so one of his friends, I don't even know who, I've never met this person in my life, he came up to me and he just said, I wish this and I wish that and I wish this, da 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 
And I felt in that moment like I was having to shoulder his burdens. Like he was unloading on me. And I was like, I don't have the capacity for this. And like, Mm -hmm. I should be the one that's able to do that to you, not you to me. Mm -hmm. And I just remember, I was like, oh my gosh. I can't believe he just did that. Mm -hmm. But... I think, you know, as you, as you go through your grief journey, you just, you realize people, it's, it's so hard to know what to say. And I think even just saying the words like, I'm here with you, or I'm here for you, I think that does Mm -hmm. way more than Mm -hmm. nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe it's just the autism in me. (laughs) Different funeral. two weeks before that um I'm there to support my friend who had lost her dad and walking through the family visitation line again and I had never uh, met her brother so here we are again in the line and her mom introduces me to her brother Mm -hmm. and I said oh it's so nice to meet you in that normal like smiling like pleasantry thing Mm -hmm. and he didn't say anything for Mm -hmm. just a split second and it made me kind of like quickly you know like oh and I looked at his eyes and I see like they're wet and he's crying and I realize it's like I almost forgot but I think (sighs) I think that's just such a natural way of how we just talk to people just in general like it's like hey how are you and I think it's just an automatic like verbiage that just comes out of, our, out of our mouths when we see somebody that it's you don't realize it until after you've already said it you're like oh god that was so not appropriate but <laughs> and you yeah. think about it for days yeah. to come. like I went from going oh nice to meet you and then I saw him and I went I'm so sorry for your loss yeah, yeah, like, yeah. and then I just had to move on I'm just like at that point yeah. there's no coming back from the awkwardness that I created mm-hmm. and so I guess uh, we will follow yeah. your advice to just keep <laughs> and then maybe if it provides a point of weird humor on the other yeah. side yeah. okay that's great you know yeah. um, but keep talking mm-hmm. and I think like instead of people asking like what can I do for you as the person that is grieving you don't you don't want to be the one that has to be like, well, I could use this and I could use that and this and this and this. You just want, I think like how I said earlier, just do it and just tell me later like, hey, I'm going to ha- I'm going to do your laundry. Oh, thank you so much. I'm going to clean your house. Oh my gosh, thank you so much. It's doing it versus me having to ask. Because I think that's when you feel like even more of a burden on somebody else when somebody else goes ahead and like does it without being asked I think that is just easier for the person that's grieving for sure and it it probably also helps them feel you know Mm -hmm. seen right and remembered Mm -hmm. because kind of like emotionally speaking like a traumatic event Mm -hmm. like you what you've gone through I think of um, in Sri Lanka when they had that tsunami mm-hmm, come through mm-hmm. and it just wiped everything mm-hmm. out, just annihilated. Mm-hmm. But it's like, so that happens and then you go, oh, that's going to be, you know, years and years of cleanup and rebuild and all this. 
And all that is very true mm-hmm. with the traumatic loss. Mm-hmm. But there's also, like we talked about before, parallel lives. So there's all of that tsunami and the cleanup mm-hmm. and all that. Mm-hmm. Yet there's this parallel life of like, oh, still have kids that need a bath. Still right. have a job that you have to do. Right. Still got to get that oil mm-hmm. change. Mm-hmm. So there's there's no time built in mm-hmm. uh, in life to just go, I'm going to take the next year off from everything. Right, right. And just kind of deal with what I need to. Mm-hmm. That we don't get that. Mm-hmm. The, the sun mm-hmm. comes up the very next day. Yeah. It's like, okay, yeah. get at it. And, and we're just like, what? Mm-hmm. So having someone just come yeah. in and help with yeah. either end of that, the tsunami mm-hmm. cleanup mm-hmm. or the daily grind, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you can see where that yeah. would be incredibly beneficial. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's what other people can do. Mm-hmm. What do you advise or recommend or suggest that people do for themselves? What are some, like... Waves. Is it a bath at night time? Mm-hmm. We talked about getting out in the sun, which mm-hmm. is incredibly mm-hmm. helpful. Yeah. I think for me, first thing is like just getting outside. And then I think, you know, finding ways to have me time. And, you know, being a mom of two very small children, that's a lot harder than I think if, you know, your kids are in middle school or maybe <laughs> even late elementary school, like when they can, you know for themselves a little bit but like allowing yourself to have time away from responsibilities and um, allowing yourself to I don't know get a massage go for a walk in silence (laughs) Um, do whatever brings you joy I, I think that does wonders and I wish I was a little bit better about that but this year my goal has been to allow myself to to have me time and focus on myself because I have not been and I think you you are a better version of yourself when you do take time to focus on yourself and and do what brings you joy and what fills your cup instead of pouring from an empty cup and it's just incredibly draining would you agree that it could be a good idea to have some of those healthy habits in place before a crisis happens so that's already maybe something to draw Mm -hmm. from that feels Mm -hmm. more normal Mm -hmm. versus someone then going oh i feel guilty if i'm going to go get a massage you know golly how can i do that when yeah so maybe having some of those yeah and i think I agree, like having that already in place. And I think for me that was just so hard because I wanted to keep home peaceful and I just, I didn't want to have to rely on somebody else to watch any. But I I do think just in general, like we do need to take time to focus on ourselves even before a crisis like this just so those habits are in place and it's not like you're having a fresh start and having to figure this out for the first time. Especially for people like you who are are natural nurturers. Mm -hmm. I mean, you're a wonderful mom Mm -hmm. and you also have a job that is very caring, very giving, very selfless. As a nurse, you guys are community heroes all day long in my book. 
And uh, yeah, for someone who's a, a nurturer, that can be especially tough, I think, to say, I, I matter, I need to do this just right. for, it benefits no one but me right, right now, and right. that's okay, Right. and that's okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I, I think we could all maybe do a little mm-hmm. bit better job mm-hmm. of practicing some of that self-care mm-hmm. before the storm hits, because mm-hmm. um, trying to figure it out in the process, mm-hmm. that could be overwhelming, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Given your situation where you were already coming from the peacemaker role, mm-hmm. there were already things, mm-hmm. you know, that were extra required of you. It would be right. extra hard to do yeah. that for sure. Yeah. For sure, yeah. So I'm glad you're doing them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm glad you're doing them. Mm-hmm. Uh, what has helped your girls? You talked about some grief mm-hmm. therapy, some play mm-hmm. therapy. What, what's been helpful for them? When your kids are so small, I think um, as far as though like other than the play therapy, trying to keep some sense of normalcy in their day-to-day helps. Just like I think, I mean, I'm very much a, like, I like to have a plan and I I don't really like change. So like when all this happened, this was like, oh my gosh, my life is upended. But, But I think trying to keep a sense of I mean, as much normal as can be. And I think because their ages are, they're just so young. Like Abigail has, will have no idea what it's like to have a dad at such a young age. And Emmy, I think because we've been living with my parents since David died, she's had, like my dad and my brother have been there. So she's had a not necessarily a dad there, but like a fatherly male figure there, that I think that's helped. But I think like having family that will help and like be there for you, um, I think that helps a lot. Yeah. And I've seen some pictures online of uh, her with her uncles Mm -hmm. on her dad's side. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. That's that's been great to Mm -hmm. see. The two families mm-hmm. really yeah. both coming on each side of you right. to go, okay, we're going to rally yeah. and do this together. And I think that's what's been so good is, like, our families, even before this, were close. That, like, and I'm part of a widow's group through church, and one thing that they've said is, like, you know, a year out, they feel like, I mean, I'm the youngest by, like, 20 years, like, a, a, there's... <laughs> It's a big age gap, but, but like what they have found is like a year out, it's a little awkward being around their in-laws, but like for me, it has not been that way. And I, I don't think it ever will be awkward just because we were close to begin with and we do weekly FaceTime chats. So it's like, and I want them to be part of the girls' lives. I just because David's gone doesn't mean they have to be gone too. That's right. Thing, so, that's yeah. right. Oh, that's great. That mm-hmm. is great. Allowing that circle to stay tight. Yeah. I'm sure that's healing for for everybody. Mm-hmm. You've talked a little bit about holidays. It goes from being really hard. Yeah. And now you know we're approaching a new year. Mm-hmm. What does that? feel like when you think about all the things to come mm-hmm. even just the Friday night mm-hmm. at home like mm-hmm. 
when you look forward, how are you reconciling the past, the present, and the future? So that the first year, I think, like, your each holiday in itself is almost a different grief. That's really good. Actually, that's really, really good. It's, each holiday yeah, is a different kind of grief. It's just, I mean, and they can hit you so differently. Like, if, I don't know, if, if Mother's Day happens to fall right close to when the death happened versus Christmas in December, Mother's Day might be totally fine and Christmas might be like horrible. And I think, you know, as you're, as you're going through grief, it's, that first year is just crazy. I don't, there's, and every holiday just hits you different. Um, but I, I can see such growth in since that first year. And it's just crazy to like think like, wow, we're coming up on two years since he died. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it feels like a lifetime ago. But then it also feels like, wow, it just happened kind of thing. And it's, it's weird being able to like feel both. But this second year it's you just I don't know you you see the strength of of how much you've grown and yeah I don't know you just mm. you're just stronger that first year you just feel so weak <laughs> and then and that's understandable yeah. and okay it's and normal just also fresh yeah mm-hmm, mm-hmm. absolutely as we start to wrap up mm-hmm. what would you tell someone with depression or who has a family member suffering with depression, what would you say to them? My big things since David has passed, tell somebody. Don't sit in your depression and not tell anybody because if you're like David, you look totally fine on the outside and you have this great disguise um, and no one knows. Have a friend or family member that's like, really good about checking in on you and asking you like the hard stuff and like are you suicidal do you have a plan I think counseling is wonderful I really wanted David to go more he was kind of we did it twice and he was like I think I'm good I'm like mm, I think you need more but and I think just having a really good support system are big things that people with depression need and I think also educating like being the person on the other side not being the person with struggling with depression but being like for me like the spouse of somebody struggling with depression or like a friend of somebody struggling with depression do your research on what is appropriate and not appropriate to say when somebody confides in you that they are struggling with depression. What not to say would be, oh, no, you're not. Like, really? That is like the worst thing to say. Where I think, you know, telling them the person struggling with depression, like, I'm really sorry you're struggling with depression. I am here for you. I want you to, like, tell me when you're having a bad day or what I can do to, to make life a little bit easier for you. I, I think that is 
much better. So I think there, I mean, there, it goes both ways. Like the person struggling with depression with the person who has either a friend or a loved one struggling with depression. You both have to be open and honest because if the person struggling with depression isn't open and honest, people may have zero clue that you're struggling with. And, and I think your loved ones really do want to help you, even if it may come across not the right way at first. I, I think there is this deep desire, though, to be there for that person struggling with depression. Mm -hmm. So maybe the heart intent shines mm -hmm. through, mm -hmm. even if the words are janky yeah. and, and yeah. awkward for yeah. sure. Um, and you touched on um, someone contemplating suicide. So mm -hmm. are there, um, in your experience, are there indicators at all when you look back? Like, is there any um, precursors you could warn someone else about? So for David, there was none. And I think that was kind of hard. Was like, this completely blindsided me. Like, sometimes... If somebody has a plan and they've been contemplating committing suicide, they start getting rid of things. They do like last last kind of visits with family. It's 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 like they're kind of getting rid of stuff. So, not necessarily obviously, but kind of slowly, they're getting rid of some things, and like maybe not making any plans. And I think. For me, that was that was the hard part. Was like David's suicide was so out of the blue. It it like he had made plans with a friend for that weekend, and then we were supposed to have like a family day on Sunday, and like he was excited about all that, and like he had ordered some guitar stuff that showed up like after he died. Like it mm -hmm. like it was obvious and he didn't write a note like I, I there was no note he didn't write a note and so for me I think that was so hard was it was such so irrational yeah so you can go from someone having a clear exit mm -hmm. strategy mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. working that plan to someone mm -hmm. Just, spontaneously mm -hmm. completely making mm -hmm. a non-reversible choice yeah wow Okay, those are those are really good tips. Thank you for sharing those. One more question. Mm -hmm. I know you have been so generous with your time and your heart. Could you share a word of hope or advice to other people who have suffered traumatic loss? So one thing I love that um, Pastor Alex said, look back with gratitude and look forward with joy but I want to add with hopeful anticipation. Yeah. I think um, if you don't have hope, um, you lose your sense of purpose. So for me, it's being able to focus on my girls and then have a hope for a brighter future. And like I said, it's not... It's not that we're moving on, it's we're moving forward. Mm -hmm. um, and being able to 
allow yourself to feel joy even when it's hard or you feel like it's you shouldn't letting yourself feel that and I brought a book but um it's a book that I gave to Emmy for Christmas sorry and even though it's a kid's book I think sometimes like children's books are so applicable to adults too um so I wanted to read it's short it's not very long something that can like so it's called Maybe, and it's a story about the endless potential in all of us. Have you ever wondered why you are here? You are the only you there ever has been or ever will be. You have so much to offer. Maybe you will invent something that no one has ever seen before. Maybe you will build things that reach high into the sky. Your life is yours. Try as many things as you can try. See as much as you can see. Wherever you go, take your hopes, pack your dreams, and never forget. It is on journeys that discoveries are made. Maybe you will help others to see the beauty in each day. Or maybe you will lift cheering crowds onto their feet. Do everything with love, follow your heart, and see where it leads you. Maybe you are here to shine a light into places that have been dark for far too long. Maybe you will speak up for those who can't speak for themselves. Maybe you are here to help in ways that only you can. There will be struggles, there will be fears, and it won't always be easy. At times, it will feel really hard, and you might make a mess of things. You may fall down. You may fail. But you will also get back up, and you will rise a little stronger and a little taller. Because there really is more inside you than you know. This world needs your gifts, your talents, your big ideas, and maybe you are just getting started. What if you are only scratching the surface of what you can do and who you can be? What if you have talents you haven't discovered yet? There is something powerful, even magical about you. You already have everything it takes to do big things. Maybe you have no idea just how good you really can be. And maybe you don't know how much you matter. But maybe, just maybe, 
The world has been waiting centuries for someone exactly like you. One thing is for sure, you are here. And because you are here, anything is possible. Why beautiful. That's probably the best children's book I've ever found. <laughs> ever. Hands down. Yeah. Wow, and we will put the um the book and its author in the show notes so people can go find that as well. What a what a powerful word. Mm-hmm. Speaking life. Yeah. I mean, I don't know what more someone could do to someone than speak life Mm -hmm. and love into them. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Thank you for bringing that. I'm sure you guys read that a lot. (laughs) I was glancing at the illustrations, and it's just a beautiful beautiful. book. Beautiful Mm -hmm. book, yeah. Thank you. Like, I needed to hear that today, too. Well, like I said, it's like, I feel like children's books, sometimes it's like, they even just have the right message, and it's simplified enough that it's even what adults need to hear. Yes, that would be like a 200-page self-help yeah. book for adults. Yeah. I resonate with the children's yeah. version much better, honestly. honestly. Yeah. And, and speaking of writing, um, you recently spoke to Turning 30 mm-hmm. and what entering a new decade means to you. And as I read it, I thought, I know she's expressing her heart and her thoughts mm-hmm. but it sounds like almost a prayer mm-hmm. would it be okay if we end our time with that today yes mm-hmm. would you rather read it or me i can read it I okay that's I great I'm and, we'll, myself. <laughs> and we'll uh add this in the show notes as well okay. so people can uh, personalize it for themselves okay 30 a new decade a new beginning a new outlook on life I'm stepping into my 30s with a very different perspective than I did in my 20s. In my 20s, I was naive. I dated my one and only boyfriend, graduated college, became a nurse, was blissfully engaged and married, traveled, became a mother, and also became a widow. Lord, I'm saying goodbye to the happiest and yet most painful decade of my life, but believing that there is abundant joy in life that lies ahead. I'm entering my 30s with open hands, open to change, open to growth, open to new dreams, open to continued healing, open to finding love again, open to embracing all that life has to offer, open to finding the beautiful potential of what is hiding just beneath the surface. May this year and decade be filled with hope, growth, joy, and immense gratitude and appreciation for all that you have done in my life. Ways you have provided when I was scared or worried. Ways you've showed your goodness when I thought all was lost. Ways you continually continually show me that you are a good and faithful God. I need only to trust you. Amen. And I think the um, the most appropriate words to to wrap up is what you said just a minute ago. Could you say it again about looking back and looking forward, please? So um, we look back with gratitude and we look forward with joy and hopeful anticipation. 
Thank you for your time. You're welcome. Thank you for gut-wrenching sharing. I know a lot of people are going to be blessed by hearing your story, and we appreciate your vulnerability and your openness and your honesty, like you were saying. Mm -hmm. And we love you. We love your girls. Thank you. We love your family. <laughs> and um, I pray the Lord will show you one day at a time what, what step is next. Yeah. You've been listening to Real Deep Stuff. If you'd like to continue this conversation, jump over to Facebook for the Real Deep Stuff Facebook page. As always, follow this podcast so you can save your seat at the table for the next conversation. We'll see you then.